Three C's in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, as we begin another edition of Three C's in a Pod. Yes, indeed. Thank you for joining us again this week. I am your host, Bashan Mann. I'm here with Chris Cervello and John Schofield. Gentlemen, we made it past our inaugural podcast. We're back for another hit. That's How right. do you feel? The Cal- street continues. Cal Ripken. <laughs> Cal Ripken. Watch out. <laughs> Come, baby. I'm going to be 60 years old podcasting. Oh, man. Coming for you, baby. Fantastic. Well, listen, nobody... Uh, nobody decided to turn away. Uh, as far as we know, we've got a, uh, a million listeners out there. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, of listeners, did you hear anything? Did you get any feedback from people who said, hey, look, uh, great podcast or not so good podcast. Here's what can be better. Well, the interesting thing I, I, I believe is that here we are. We're discussing things that the three of us used to discuss inside of a cube at the Pentagon. You know, where here we are. We're working for... Navy Public Affairs, and we're breaking down stuff for, like, the presidential helicopter contract or um, any kind of battlefield or battle space management issue overseas, and and we break down what the communications variables are that are possibly holding us back from success. And now we get the opportunity to sit here and actually break it down in such a way that that you're pulling the curtain back on, on Oz a little bit to see exactly how um, maybe difficult or easy it is. Some people overthink public affairs and communications. Mm-hmm. Some people mm-hmm. underthink it. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole idea of the podcast and the discussion here is to break it down into a narrative that people can learn from every week. Uh, that, that's kind of what I heard. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I heard similar things. Um, but be, beyond that, I heard, you, you know, be yourself, um, you, you know, and enjoy uh, the time that you guys have together. Maybe sell a, a little less and just uh, explore those uh, those stories and experiences, whether it's from, you know, like our next segment, looking back a week or looking ahead a week. Just, just enjoy the time you have together. That's what people want to hear. It was uh, quite interesting to hear from other people who are in the PR business, in the communications line of work. Uh, saying like, hey, listen, what you guys are talking about is in my wheelhouse, um, you know, talking about messaging, talking about branding as it relates to pop culture and news, entertainment, sports, like, you, hey, I, they were they were glued to it. And yeah, there are some things we could do better, be a bit more conversational, uh, try to have some fun, relax and breathe. Uh, I was told specifically to dump the news voice. Uh, as, as <laughs> you if, sound a lot more natural. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's much what's, more Stan Stovall from what's like right? WBA. How about, how about a little Frost. Bernard Shaw? Right, exactly. <laughs> Come on, exactly. pour one out. This missiles, CNN. missiles over Baghdad. Uh, listen, gentlemen, before we jump into our first segment, Rearview Mirror, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention out there to folks. Hey, listen, you can find us uh, on Twitter in the Twitterverse at Pro V Advisors. That's P-R-O-V-A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S. Or check us out on the web, www.provisionadvisors.net. All right, let's jump into our first segment, Rearview Mirror, where we go around the table and we talk about uh, what we saw, what stood out to us in the news or elsewhere, something that's on our mind uh, that occurred over the the course of the last week. Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. So 20 years ago this week, The Sopranos 
debuted Ow. on HBO. Got this morning. Right, everybody sing. Blue moon in your eye. We could, full moon couldn't right. afford the rights to the song, so <laughs> we, we don't want to get sued. Ask Cap, ask Cap. What's the significance of that? Beyond the marathon showing of all six and a half seasons yeah, that, this I'm, week I'm, on I've HBO, I've been watching it. You know, we were talking before we came on air how it, it changed TV. It, it changed it uh, not only the way they create television shows, but. Uh, I think without The Sopranos, you don't have the quality programming since. You don't have Netflix. You don't have Hulu. I mean, it, and certainly I don't think HBO is around, it, you know, if it, if it wasn't for The Sopranos. So for me, the fact that The New York Times wrote on it four times this week, right. that it was that significant, um, I thought it was meant, worth mentioning, uh, you know, as a, our segment here for In the Rearview. Well, let's talk about brands that actually define a company. Is Apple what it is today without the iPhone? Is HBO what it is today without The Sopranos? And and again, I is Nike it, what it is without Michael Jordan? It, exactly. So you have these seminal moments, these very important moments in the history of a company or a brand where you take the chance on something. And The Sopranos was a chance. You know, we were talking a little bit before that. Before The Sopranos, the only real original content on HBO was your like late night Skinamax type of like hitchhiker episodes. The originality of The Sopranos, the 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 uniqueness of it, how brash it was, and and how David Chase went in unapologetic and he went out unapologetic, ending it on that just cut to black, and and that is what really made HBO what it is today because. All of a sudden, it, preceding The Sopranos was Six Feet Under, and then after The Sopranos was Honorage. That made Sunday night. And, you know, my Sundays were watch football all day, and then right before The Sopranos was Six Feet Under, that's an hour of awesome TV. And then the, the most ultimate awesome TV is an hour of The Sopranos, and then you have 30 minutes of Honorage afterwards. Look at what The Sopranos did as, like, the eight innings of starting pitching for what Honorage then became as the closer for that night. They got a movie out of it. That that the Sopranos made the Honorage their own brand. So again, the Sopranos should be getting the press it's getting right now because it was incredible. It still is. I can't remember. Did Arliss come on? Was Arliss before the Sopranos? I think it was right. I'm almost positive. Yes, yeah. but I mean, you know, even those shows that you talk about. Um, that were out there on uh, cable. I think people went back and watched them in a different way mm. uh, a after The Sopranos. So yeah. you know, John, you talk about how it you know it changed the way you watched cable TV on Sundays. I think it really you, you know, Bash, you were saying before we came on the air that you, you know it wasn't until several years later uh, when you watched reruns that you realized what what you had missed. But I, I thought I think it set up this idea of binge watching, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of people that miss those uh, first couple episodes, yeah. and then you were yeah, able yeah, to yeah. go back because of streaming service or you know whatever, and, and and catch up on it. I didn't realize until this week that I of the first because that first season when it came out, I didn't have a DVR in my house or in my apartment at that at that point. So if you weren't around on Sunday at nine o'clock, nine o'clock, nine o'clock. It, you missed it, and it wasn't going to come on again. So right. to your point, yeah, streaming services, being able to, to come back and, and binge watch stuff like we did all this week, 
Well, how did it drive content? You know, I remember that it was NYPD Blue that was really, you were talking about this a little bit before, that, you know, Sipowitz was dropping your occasional F-bomb, that you'd, you'd see David Caruso's ass or something, and it was really the most, like, edgy. unbelievable yeah. edgy stuff on TV. Right. And then The Sopranos came around, and all the regular networks were like, oh, like, nothing's off limits. I mean, they're just sitting here in the Bada Bing, killing people, dropping F-bombs, running a crime syndicate. How do we then change what our audiences want to see? And not to sound corny here, but it, it, it speaks directly to what we do as communicators in that what does your audience then want to see? And then how did network TV morph itself after The Sopranos became so mainstream in order to meet audience demand? Look at what the content is on TV since The Sopranos and how networks really got edgier because The Sopranos forced them to do it. I, you know, I would argue with uh, relatives that would say, "Oh, that show is terrible because it, you know, disparages Italian Americans," or "Oh, it's about the mob." And, and my argument back was always, it, "It doesn't matter what Tony Soprano does for a living, right? I mean, it just so happens that he is a, a mobster, and you know, that's the storyline. But it easily could have been something else be because I think where it changed TV, and to your point, John, where where folks have tried to catch up and emulate." is the depth in which it developed characters, the depth in which it was stories within stories. It brought you in um, and completely changed the way, uh, again, to your point, how we watch TV, uh, what we expect of our TV shows. I mean, it, it's just, there's been, there was nothing be like it before and everything like it after. So it's interesting to me that you bring that up because we talk about the different sets of eyes interpreting a show on television, right? So for me... I found it, and, and so some of my friends, we found it very interesting that those writers interwove the, um, the culture of organized crime with hip-hop culture, and then to the extent that even the family, right, so AJ, um, Meadow even, and the Christopher Moltisanti character, how they had an, a hip-hop influence. So yeah. you would see different episodes where, well, obviously Christopher was trying to do his thing with the movies out in L.A., but then he had an episode, there was one specific episode where he was dealing uh, with a, a gangster rapper or something like that, and you saw A.J. moving into that yeah. realm and what, you know, what drove his influence, what they would listen to on the radio. And hip-hop culture was already, like, depending on who you listen to, like if you were listening to the Wu-Tang Clan or some uh, other uh, hip-hop... Uh, I was more of a Rex and Effect Rex guy. and Effect. <laughs> Word up. All that one I did was run my zoom, zoom, zoom. So what you saw was already a fascination with the organized crime culture coming through hip-hop, in, coming in that direction. So to see that play out on television grabbed the attention of the hip-hop culture. You know, and, and so it was, the, and so again, kudos to the writers for expanding that narrative, uh, strengthening that conversation. You have to take chances. You have to take chances in order to reach the audience. And sometimes, like we talked about last week, sometimes the audience is going to get it, like with social media content. Sometimes they're going to think it's funny. Sometimes they're going to think it's edgy. Sometimes they're going to think it's awesome. Sometimes they're going to think it sucks. And, and for them to unabashedly go out there and just say, hey, here's our content, this is what we're doing. You know what, this week, Christopher's going to sit on a dog and kill it. Yeah, and, and I, 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 still to this day, I do not I do not sit on a couch without making sure Cosette's not behind me. I do not want that dog wow. to suffocate. We all have our 
Hashtag the struggle like, is real. Yeah, and what, what, and like, what was the most important episode to you? I feel like we can go on and on about this. I, w- I will tell you one thing: um, the significance of the Sopranos. It's like if we had ten people down here who were avid Sopranos fans, and then another ten that were avid, you know, uh, Wire fans, and how the argument would go to say like, oh, what was the better program? But I feel like you cannot have the Wire without first having The Sopranos, because The Sopranos went here, yep. and then The Wire was like, watch this, you know, we're going to go here. That's what you're Just talking about. Incredible. How do you as communicators, how do you as entertainers, how do you as writers um, take that bar and continue to try to meet it right. and raise right. it and overcome it and continue to push the envelope in order to entertain or get your message across? That is the challenge, and, and people do it in a variety of ways. Uh, hey, Chris, great. That's a that's a great um, rearview mirror subject. John, uh, what did you see this week that sort of caught your attention? I, I just really want to be... I'm, I'm just wondering if Mackenzie Bezos will follow me, possibly, on oh. Twitter, Instagram. I am I'm available. I am. Listen, I tell you... I will um, be a very good partner. Um, you know, <laughs> the separation, you know, se- separation of, uh, of love or separation of family... There's never anything that you want to joke about necessarily or anything like that. Because, you know, at one point you'd hope that two people were in love. But, man, is that getting a, a chunk of the news cycle? It's like, can you, I mean, that's the thing that, oh, can you joke about that? Because, it, to me, with all the things that are going on in the world today, uh, that's what yeah. leads the news. And, I mean, you, you know, of course we, we understand why. But, yeah, yeah. but I mean, man, it, it, it makes it hard to break through. Uh, you, you know, I was joking before that Chinese are on the dark side of the moon, right. and we're talking about who, what, you, when? you know, the Bezos. <laughs> when did that happen? Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the Today Show started off this morning with the girl who had been missing for three months. Right, so right, you've got right. kind of that Jessica Smart type of kidnapped girl is found lead story. I understand that. Second story is government shutdown. We've now reached the longest government shutdown in history, and Chris is going to get to that in a minute. Number three is that this lady is getting 70 bill. Yeah. And, and, and I get it. I understand it's news. But again, it, it's tough for you to understand what's really going to resonate or not resonate with people out there when at any given moment there's going to be some celebrity death or, or Mackenzie Bezos getting 70 billion in a divorce. I, I just, I find it fascinating that that number one, and, and this has nothing to do with communications, but when you have so much wealth that 70 billion is only half of your shit, like that's only half of your money. Yeah. And you're like, all right, well, price of doing business, and on to marriage number two, I guess. And for those listeners out there that perhaps don't know who we're talking about, um, <laughs> you have good. Mackenzie you watch the Today Show. Mackenzie, Mackenzie Bezos and uh, and her husband Jeff Bezos have decided to uh, no longer. I hope I'm saying that right. I might be screwing it up, but um, the uh, founder of Amazon uh, they have decided to to divorce, um, and for whatever reasons that they have, uh, is hopefully that remains private, or maybe it's already out there in the news. But nevertheless. Uh, the amount of money that is involved that has to get split down the middle because as we've heard in the news there was no prenuptial agreement um, and the fact that they were married uh, in the state state of Washington uh, which is a, a 50-50 state that is it has grabbed the attention of the news and again the pure dollar amounts are involved is what has uh, has the attention uh, of newsmakers out there so 
Yes, uh, we we wish them both well here at Provision Advisors. Credit to her, like it, neither here nor there, but credit to her where you have a lot of these news stories come out and the divorcee is out there in the news. I haven't heard hiding her hair from from her on this whole thing, nor him. And and granted, I think they want it to be private, but usually these things get played out in the press, like Brangelina, uh, you know, that whole thing. I think we're... I, I, I hope think we're in for. I hope it stays private. But yeah. if it goes public, then then good luck getting your content out there because people are going to be talking about Mackenzie and her seventy billion dollar divorce settlement. Right, right. Um, as far as uh, things that I saw, I mean, again, it was an intense week. Uh, it feels like we just recorded. Uh, we're in studio recording yesterday, uh, but of course there are a lot of topics out there in the news. Uh, one thing for me, and I'll say this. Um, if you haven't uh, seen it yet, there's the trailer out there for uh, Captain Marvel. Uh, it's, it looks fantastic, uh, and, and if you're if you're into those uh, into the Marvel uh, line of um, movies, this should be right up there with the rest. Uh, looks really exciting, starring Brie Larson. She has started a GoFundMe uh, to get um, girls uh, out there, uh, our, our daughters uh, out there, to watch this movie. And it's something that I'm look. I'm definitely going to be um, interested uh, in this. Um, I think it just the GoFundMe is set up to get as many you know many girls out there across America into theaters uh, to watch this movie. Uh, Frederick Joseph of WeHaveStories.org. Uh, he was behind the Black Panther challenge. Uh, also set up the hashtag um, Captain Marvel challenge. So. I'm behind that. I want as many people as that are hearing this. I'm making a, a passionate plea uh, to military moms and dads out there to get um, get our daughters out there, our incredible uh, brave girls out there. Uh, follow the hashtag Captain Marvel Challenge uh, to get our daughters out there into the movie theater to check out this great movie. Uh, I think with that, we'll wrap up our rearview mirror segment. Uh, folks, stay with us uh, after the break. We're going to get into our deep dive, where we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the government shutdown. Stay with us. At ProVision Advisors, we prepare your team for the challenges and what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter. Go to www.ProVisionAdvisors.net to learn more. Let us solve your toughest problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Hey folks, welcome back to Three C's in a Pod. Uh, we thank you for hanging with us. We're going to get into our next segment here, Deep Dive. Uh, our subject today is going to be the government shutdown. I know this is on the minds of uh, a good number of Americans. It's affecting uh, far too many Americans than I uh, wish to count. Uh, and I feel like it's something that uh, we can go around the room and actually get into some, into some good detail. This government shutdown now getting into its 21st day. Uh, and it's definitely in the news and on the minds of a lot of people. So with that, um, Chris, you want to get down and, and talk a little sure. bit about this? So I'm going to stay away from the politics on my side. If you guys want to di dive into that, go, go ahead. But okay. what I'm struck by is um, just how tone deaf uh, the leaders of these departments are when it comes to speaking to their federal employee 
workforce. Okay. Uh, you, you know, we probably between the three of us have gone through, I don't know, a handful of, of government shutdowns. If you are anywhere in the federal government over the last eight years, you certainly have had to think about this, if not deal with it, right? Yes. I mean, we this is the first time for us in the Defense Department that we've had a budget on the beginning at the beginning of the fiscal year mm -hmm. in eight years sure so is. we've we've always had this specter of shutdown we've always uh you know we've had to deal with it whether there was a republican uh or a democrat in the white house whether there was a republican congress whether there was a democrat con uh, democrat congress so for me the idea that one folks weren't speaking to the workforce ahead of time um and helping them understand the possibility uh of the length of the shutdown um, helping them to understand about the um, financial ramifications and what this may mean for their life and those types of things in real terms. I'm not talking about having yard sales or you know going to be a personal shopper or any of the other ridiculous things that people have floated. Right. Um, but you know ahead of time talking to their workforce and then the fact that that had that didn't continue uh, during the uh, shutdown it, mm -hmm. it is just uh, it's almost criminal. And I don't mean to be hyperbolic, but uh, it's almost criminal. Now, it is troubling as a communicator that a number of these, um, a number of these cabinet level um, offices, communications is not considered a uh, um, an essential task, right? So, if you remember from when we, were, you know, because we were active duty, we were all at work. But we weren't allowed to use the website, if you remember. We weren't allowed to use social media. We were. There were a number of things that were identified as essential and non-essential. And so if this is just the new reality, if this is just what government is going to become, uh, fine. I mean, we, you know, again, we can talk about the value of that to, uh, to, to a Democratic Republic on, on a different segment. Right. But at the very least, you need to have the communication squared away ahead of time. You need to identify communication as an essential function or you're going to lose these folks. And then, uh, you know, I really hope that when this workforce comes back to work, there is, you, you know, a figurative putting your arms around them and helping them deal with you know, the lack of value that they felt over these 21 no end in sight number of days so that they can get back to work because we're talking about pretty important jobs here. We're oh, talking yes. about the Coast Guard. We're talking about, you know, everything <laughs> is high in natural the, resources. Right. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Coast Guard, natural resources, food stamps. I mean, all sorts of things that make up the government um, and the people that do this work. Um, are, are really just being neglected. And, and so that that's what I wanted to kind of spend a little bit of time on is is just to kind of bring that up and, and look at it through the, the lens of communication and, and lessons learned here. Well, then I'll, I will get political because I want to do so. I, 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 I think for you to talk about communications is to assume that that this particular administration even had communications on the brain when they went through this. And, and that's for me to then postulate that I think every single day in that administration is a pickup game where they don't know what they're going to communicate, when they're going to communicate it. And, and that might just be my jaded, you know, far left liberal self here, but it just seems to me that it's just like when Sarah Huckabee Sanders went on the Sunday shows last week and, and spewed off about terrorists coming through the southern border and then Kellyanne Conway, of all people, had to go out and correct Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Like, where are we in the world when, when, when Kellyanne is correcting Sarah Huckabee Sanders? 
it, it just doesn't seem like there's any cohesive communication or thought of communication in the first place. So that, that's one thing, and, and, and it sickens me, and I'm, and I'm really, really irritated about the whole thing, um, and, and I'll just leave it at that. The second thing I'll bring up is how interesting it is what people, what people hang on to as that, as that real nasty part of the government shutdown. The two things I've seen, number one, when you know, the, the pictures of, of the Joshua trees getting cut down out there at Joshua Tree National Park, like, all right, government shutdown, bad. TSA, maybe not checking people as close, bad. Okay, like, FDA, people not checking for E. coli and lettuce, bad. Oh, well, shit, like, people are cutting down Joshua trees now because there's no natural resources police? Well, now I'm pissed. It, it, it's interesting to me what this society hangs on to as your as your cause to celeb or, or your thing to really get irritated about. Right. And, and, and I follow a certain niche of audience on Twitter, but all of a sudden Joshua trees getting cut down was really electrifying the audience about this thing. Yeah. And then the second thing, and I'll wrap with this is that they've chosen a bunch of little areas where the government shutdown has affected people three times now. And today on the today show, they've chosen Ogden, Utah, as this like place where a, a preponderance of government workers, you know, is being affected by the government shutdown. Like Ogden, like have you ever been? Like I grew up in Utah. Like Ogden, okay. I would think the government shutdown is affecting people more, but I guess that's your little niche of like any town America where this is affecting your any town American. Just kind of an interesting thing because Ogden, not not my favorite place. Right, Chris. Let me ask you. You you talked about the communication planning aspect of this and how there could have been a better way that people could have communicated issues. Uh, not to really put you on the spot, but I'm put you on the spot. Sure. If you were gonna, let's say top three or or whatever your overarch, like if you were going into this and you were writing out a, a a comm plan, what are the the essential things you need to communicate? to that audience that's going to be on the receiving end of this shutdown so they're not getting slammed with a, a uh, maybe you should do a garage sale or maybe you should uh, do some other, you know, I don't know, go on Craigslist and put your, put your sofa on there, whatever kind of thing. Um, so what, what would you do? What, what are some so so first off, I, I would try very hard ahead of time um, and then leading up to to really reinforce the value of the workforce to not only the organization that they're a part of, but to the larger governmental effort. Right. And so there'll be some people that get that and there'll be some that don't that say, hey, you, you know, all evidence to the contrary. If you really thought we were valued, uh, the government wouldn't shut down. But I mean, that I would as a I would make sure my boss was really out there ahead of time. Um, you know, emphasizing that to uh, he or, or, or his or her particular uh, workforce audience. The second thing would, would be um, I would have made sure that the resources were known well in advance, right? So short-term resources, long-term resources, and then, you know, if, if, if this thing goes weeks and weeks, um, what, what else can, can they do, right? And so, um, it, you know, it has to start weeks in advance about, right. hey, look, this thing is looming. You, you can read the, the tea leaves, 
are you saving money? Are you um, have you talked to your bank? Do, you know, do you, is your bank one of the banks that's going to pay you no matter what? Right. You know, there are uh, Navy Federal, USAA, and a number of other big banks. Um, you know, I would have I would have made sure that those resources were uh, were known, and then I would have looked into other financial counseling resources again to reinforce um, the the less ridiculous. Uh, resources that that were available to make sure that people know that. Um, And then the third is, is I would have figured out a way to communicate to them um, while the shutdown was going on, making sure that folks that are having problems, Mm -hmm. um, you know, know where they can come and what's available to them, in addition to the resources that you told them about, but just to kind of put a face and a voice um, to their particular problems. Because now, beyond the politics, beyond the message mismatch that you talked about, John, um, you know, from a purely like tactical communication standpoint, you now have people bitching and moaning on TV, right? Which yeah. is the worst thing possible, yeah, right? You've let so, it get out of the box. R- right. So not to mention that people are genuinely suffering, right? Today is the first payday. And exactly. we, we were talking exactly. about this before we came on. I don't know how many paydays I could go. I mean, I, r- I really don't. My wife works. We're very lucky. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we tend to have a budget that doesn't have a lot of uh, fudge factor. And, and so the idea that people can just kind of deal with it and now are going to be as their complaints and as their woes um, are, are, you know, part of the narrative or, you know, a larger part of the narrative. It, I just think it makes it worse. They are now more of the politicization of this uh, uh, of this problem. I just don't think that they have the wherewithal to, to communicate with empathy. So here you are when you could be messaging, you know, as as messengers of overt and covert power. You have all those people out there, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Mitch McConnell, um, and anyone who was behind the blame game of the government shutdown, when they could be messaging really empathetic things about hang in there, yeah, you know, I, I follow Jim Acosta on Twitter. Jim Acosta is doing this this little video vignette from from one of the metal slat wall portions down there on the border, and and Donald Trump Jr. is jabbing him. You know, like it, at a time when you could take the high road and actually message to the people who are affected by the government shutdown. The nature of this administration is to take part in like this war of words with the media, which I don't know what that gets you. I understand that they have this fake news narrative that they want to perpetuate, but take the high road, if, if you can, anyone. You've got a lot of people who are out of work and missing a payday when you could be taking time to, to communicate empathetically and tell people that you care about the fact that they're hurting right now, you're choosing to jab at members of the media because you think that they're on the wrong side of a particular debate. I, That's just wrong. I, I'm, the only thing I, the, the, the only difference that I would point out is, is I, I don't know that just given what got us here, um, I, my argument is kind of take the, the White House and the Congress out of this equation, right? And, yeah. and, and so my frustration um, or it, advice is more towards that middle government management um, that, you know, the bureaucracy that, you know, you know kind of steamrolls on regardless of who's in the White House, regardless of what uh, 
party has power. That's where my frustration is, right? Because I don't know that you're ever going to change the politicization of the message um, that comes out of the White House, again, regardless of, the, uh, of the, the party. But I hope that folks are really either paying attention now or are going to pay attention to the lessons learned so that we do a better job of uh, of not only taking care of the folks um, should this happen again, and if you look at the, the political climate, I mean, there's no reason to think that it won't happen again. Um, but I also hope that they'll figure out how to communicate um, much more effectively to that workforce. All good points. Uh, I'll say this and then, and then get us out of here because I feel like, you know, we could, again, we could, we could talk at length uh, about this particular subject. Uh, and Chris, you touched on this. I can say for a fact, one paycheck taking away from my household uh, is going to have an intense impact. Um, take away two, and I'll tell you one thing, I might find myself in a Home Depot parking lot offering up my services to paint walls. Fact number three for think, me. Think about that for a little bit. <laughs> Tony Soprano would never let the government get shot. <laughs> That's a great place to end this segment. <laughs> there we go. All right, uh, gentlemen, uh, great talk, folks. We're going to jump into a break right now before we come back and jump into On the Horizon. This is Three Season a Pod. At ProVision Advisors, we specialize in strategic communication planning, execution and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success. We work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity. For a free consultation, go to our website at www.provisionadvisors.net or send us an email at info at provisionadvisors.net. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, we're back with Three Season a Pod. Uh, we're going to jump into our next segment, gentlemen, on the horizon. So let's go around the table and highlight what we're looking Looking at for the next week, uh, John. We'll start with you. I'll be quick. Um, you know, I'm I'm big on sports narratives with uh, with communications, and and I'm interested to see how the Antonio Brown thing goes. You know, every once in a while, every like two or three seasons, you get this big uh, debate. You know, from a disgruntled athlete in any of the sports. You really don't hear a lot about it in hockey, but. Basketball, football, baseball, you know, where, where's Manny Machado going to go? Where's this guy going to go? And now it's the Antonio Brown saga, you know, like you know, gone, gone are the days where, you know, players just play. You've got Antonio Brown sitting out the last, ga the last game or the last week of practice. He gets benched for the last game, and now they're taking a dude who's owed a lot of money, I think 21 or $22 million left on his deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers and arguably the top receiver in football. Where does he go, and then how does it get played out? Um, interesting, Le'Veon Bell tweeted at him right after the whole thing came out, and he's like, hey, where are we going, brother? Like, you know, the athletes, uh, celebrities... Um, leaders can now seize social media in order to shape change. Um, and Antonio Brown is going to go somewhere, hopefully the Denver Broncos, as a Denver Bronco fan. But <laughs> you know, they, they shape the narrative um, as to their happiness in the workplace, um, how they're playing, what the team's doing through social media. And, and I think it would be really challenging going forward 
if you were the director of communications for the Baltimore Orioles or a sports information director at the Naval Academy or University of Maryland or anywhere, how you actually deal with a more outspoken employee base that traditionally didn't use that medium to express displeasure. In the past, you know, you think a New England Patriot would do what Antonio Brown or a lot of guys do yeah, on social media and be on the team <laughs> the next week? Parce- or Parcells, a, a Freudian slip. Belichick would be like, you're gone. So I, I'm interested to see how it plays out. I'm interested to see how much of a soap opera it becomes, and, and I'll be watching it as the sports fan I am. I have to jump in just real quick sure. here, just because he brought up football. And did either of you see the statement put out by the NFL? Towards Eric Reed. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to explain a little bit because I mean I do think that this is this is one of those narrative counter narrative. I mean it's just a brave new world, especially in sports. Right. So Eric Reed, Carolina Panthers, came in <laughs> after <laughs> yeah. after the season had started, you yep. know, and, and signed with the Carolina Panthers uh, defensive back, and immediately, I mean, before I think he even got out of the locker room for the first game was like, okay, drug test. And through the, um, through the NFL and the NFLPA, the, uh, the agreement is that it's a, it's a random process. Yeah. Well, Eric Reed It's a little has, bit more random for Eric <laughs> Reed. Right? Eric Reed has received seven. <laughs> he has received seven random drug tests. I say, quote unquote, random drug tests. And was, as they were happening, was putting them out on social media, like, hey, even at one point, if you follow him on Twitter, showed, like, the actual um, statement that is a message that gets put in your locker or gets delivered to you to say, hey, look, you've been randomly selected, da-da-da-da-da. So he's he's received seven and has now filed suit, um, you know, with with the NFL uh, to counter this. Well, the NFL sent back a statement um, that was released into the news this this week mm-hmm. to say that actually the algorithm that we use uh, <laughs> no, has right. not has not changed and <laughs> Eric Reed gets selected just at random. That's the way the algorithm works. And I I personally I looked at that and I was like, oh yeah, well that's some <laughs> algorithm. You know what I mean? Right. That's a, one of the variables is hmm. your relationship to Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> Wow. Um, so the, I'm, I'm just, I say that, you know, just because it was, you talk about messaging. Um, but I mean, he took it right out there, right? So I mean, normally this is the type of stuff that is happening in the background. And now, I mean, there's no way, no way are people going to let this stuff happen in the background. I mean, it, it's a, you know, it's in your face mm-hmm. in uh, pro sports, but you're also starting to see this in, you know, in other companies and in, uh, and in, uh, in government where, perceived injustice or uh, when you you know have uh, have disagreements with with your bosses I mean it's now out there right because you have that ability to, to put it out there uh, amazing I, so I'm, I'm interested as are many others as to how this goes and, uh, you know, <laughs> good good luck I'd be screwed I mean I always had crazy stage fright in the Navy for the year and right, you couldn't have done seven I, or eleven you'd my, still be my <laughs> kidneys would be failing I'd have to pour like gallons of water into oh myself my before I could do it Chris what do you see on the so I'm complete <laughs> switch change of gears um, this week for the Navy is the 31st annual Surface Navy Association mm-hmm. National Symposium so a big uh get together where the surface Navy, um, and if you're not familiar with the Navy, uh, the surface Navy are the, the guys and gals that drive ships, 
uh, really the heart of the Navy. Oh, yeah. um, and so they'll get together, and it's their opportunity to talk about what's good, what's bad, um, and uh, you know, kind of lay out the narrative uh, for for the year. Um, this is a great conference. It's a great opportunity to get together. I, I have really felt like this is an underutilized venue uh, for the Navy, and particularly mm. for the okay. surface leadership. Um, and, and I think they're really trying hard this year to uh, to change that um, and to kind of set the set the tone. Um, John, I mean, I, you know, uh, from a cultural standpoint, the folks that drive ships for the Navy are a pretty uh, pretty unique bunch in how they message and how they receive messaging. Um, you know, I think back to when you were an instructor at the Naval Academy almost a decade and a half ago, I guess. Yeah. And uh, what, what was your message on the surface warfare, uh, f- for the surface warfare community? Well, it was just to be more provocative. And, it, and again, we talk about taking chances and trying to make the brand. And we came out there and just said, SWO doesn't suck, you suck. Yeah, there was this prevailing thought that SWO was the worst possible option you had. I want to fly F-18s. Well, you can't. I want to be a Marine. Well, you can't. Well, then I want to get a nuke bonus. Well, you can't. All right, well, here's SWO, the lowest common denominator. And what we were trying to do is combat that feeling that only the worst of the bunch had that. And we said, no, it doesn't suck. If you think it sucks, you're the one who sucks. So we even made t-shirts and everything. It was fun. Well, I think just in some of the early uh, things that I've seen out of Admiral Brown and some of the other Navy leadership that's going to speak, they've kind of adopted that same approach, right? It's, it's really saying, hey, look, one, we're not as gooned up as we like to think that we are. Um, and two, we're actually uh, doing much better. And here's where we are doing better. Um, and yeah, there's still a lot of room to, to grow, but uh, but let's uh, let, you know let, let's take heart of the fact that we're moving in the right direction. So I, I'm gonna watch that this week. I'm gonna be there on Tuesday, um, you know, talking to uh, friends and mentors and listening to what the service community has to say. And then uh, you know, hopefully next week, uh, either in the rear view or uh, as a deep dive, uh, we'll talk a little bit about how well folks did, you know, the types of messaging that they uh, they used and how well those messages were received. And where is this taking place? So this is in Crystal City, uh, here in the in the D.C. Uh, area. They do a uh, the national convention here on the uh, on the East Coast, and then they go out west and, and do something. And, and you know, a lot of the warfare communities in the Navy do these types of events. And I know that they're also done in the Army at uh, the Association of the Army um, and uh, the Air Force Association. Um, so one of the things maybe next week we talk about is is that are these types of get-togethers valuable in today's digital world, right? Yeah. Is there still value in, uh, in other businesses or warfare communities in the services getting together from a cultural and messaging uh, standpoint? But, I prefer uh, you refer to Crystal City as its new name, well, Amazon Headquarters Amazon 2. 2, right? Doesn't it have enough? I thought it had Potomac something, uh, oh, you know. So uh, maybe that'll be settled in the divorce as well. It will be <laughs> the naming rights will go. Mackenzie gets Crystal City. Right. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> okay. Poor, <laughs> poor Vashon. You, you can't see the look on his his face. Uh, it's an audio medium. Sorry. Right. <laughs> uh, no. No problem. No. We, we just we the job. Listen, the job of the host is to just keep it moving. Let you guys talk, and you do a damn and, good job. Hey, it's the Merv Griffin set. Now's a good time to, uh, um, to maybe end it. No, well, listen. Well, let me let me tell you what I'm looking for on the horizon. Uh, we're starting to see um, Democratic uh, candidates for for president, or or people speculating whether or not they want to run. 
Um, it's uh, interesting to see, is this going to be a large pool? I think it's going to be a, a large pool of people uh, coming in. Uh, some people are sort of dipping their toe in the water to see, is this something that I want to do? Uh, you've got your Elizabeth Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden group, and then we're also seeing uh, yeah, Senator Kamala Harris, Democrat out of, out of California, uh, was out there today on, um, on uh, MSNBC. Mm-hmm. Um, Morning Joe uh, talking, which I thought was a, a, a great interview for her. She, I mean, she's fantastic. She's awesome. She knows her stuff. Uh, but one thing I, that sort of got a blip yesterday was was Beto O'Rourke uh, traveling as he get, continues his roadshow across Texas um, while talking with his dental hygienist. Uh, <laughs> decided to Instagram uh, what was going on and uh, just sort of showed the inner portions of his mouth. Uh, on Instagram, and there was sort of an immediate blowback of, yeah, n- don't do that. Fantastic tweet today was, good thing Beto wasn't getting a colonoscopy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, there's got to be a limit, yes? No, you don't think I, so? I mean, I think the limit is be yourself, right? And I mean, I, I don't know that much about Beto O'Rourke. I mean, I paid a little bit of attention to, uh, you know, when he was running against Ted Cruz and sort of the uniqueness that he took to that campaign. My sense is, is that's that's who he is. I, I think that you can get away with that because it's closer to, you know, being genuine, then you know, it's easier to get away with that than these folks that try to try to get out of the gate and be somebody that they aren't. Right. So right. that that's I mean, as you talk about kind of watching this on the horizon, I wanna see who is comfortable in their own skin, who's comfortable in their digital skin and, and who holds up to the test because it, it this is I mean it's early with a lot of candidates in there you're going to have I mean people are going to be throwing rocks and you're really yeah. going to see who is comfortable and, and who can stand the test of the early battles yeah Certainly. you don't know what's taboo anymore in in the past seeing the inside of someone's mouth on Instagram <laughs> or social media would have made them uncomfortable right and and that's again what the what the Trump era of social media usage has done to break down these barriers like it used to be that you couldn't open a pickle jar or change a bicycle chain naked. Now you can. <laughs> um, it's it's not gross anymore. So now, like I don't know, Beto's teeth a little bit abnormally large, plus the 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 angles right there. But I I, I think that there's a little bit to to your point, Chris. There's a little bit of you, you're trying to be genuine to your audience. You're mm-hmm. trying to show them you're a regular guy and that you might run for president one day. And then there's a little bit of like, bro, I don't want. I don't want to see that, man. Like, but I can, I can live with that, right? I can live with, oh, that was stupid, versus something that's contrived. Like, he can recover from it was stupid, it was yeah. ill-timed, versus something that was contrived and, you, you know, staged like in a Like Elizabeth a big Warren way. drinking a beer. Well, we'll see. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Maybe, maybe Elizabeth Warren is a big beer drinker, right? <laughs> it didn't look like right. I love beer. What was the... the <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> yeah, Pat. Uh... <laughs> Wait, but, but this no one, one got the Seinfeld reference. Well, I feel like we need to have. Well, naked, no, I feel like pickle jar I, I feel like we need to have like a bell no. that we ring every time we make a Seinfeld reference. Come Ding. on, that was that was good. All right, whatever. But actually, I mean, I think that's a that's a fantastic uh, on the horizon one, and and I think that you know for the next two years we're likely to talk about you know politics aside how these folks are. Uh, 
are branding themselves, how they're standing, you know, by that brand, and how that brand is being received by uh, the electorate. Yeah, I think we're going to have plenty to look at. Uh, I'm waiting for Montgomery Brewster myself. Um, <laughs> listen, I, on that note, folks, uh, thank you for joining us uh, here today. You've been listening to Three Season a Pod, uh, Chris, John. Uh, hope you enjoyed this uh, this edition right here. And uh, folks, join us next week. Uh, We'll be back. And in the meantime, uh, be good, be careful, and be better. Thank you for listening to Three Season a Pod. Have a good week.